right. So let's go to the Lord in, in prayer and lift these things to Him in your own heart. Uh, remember, the Lord can hear more than one person praying at a time. And uh, that's easy for Him. If you can use the word easy, because nothing's more easy than something else. But uh, uh, let's, we have a God that, that hears. Let's pray to Him. Father, we just thank you this morning for the, uh, just the, the being able to come and worship you together as we have done all week long. Um, and Lord, I just pray that uh, this whole week you would be uh, in our thoughts and, uh, and uh, Lord, that we would desire to please you in all that we say and do. And Lord, we need you. We need your presence. We need your power. Uh, and so, Lord, help us just to uh, fall back into the arms of Jesus as we have sung about and just find mercy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit in him. And, Lord, as we begin to open up the, a new book uh, the, the, of the gospel according to Mark, uh, Lord, the, what a practical book it is, a book of action and, and uh, uh, what you did in the lives of people, Lord, you'll do in our lives. So I pray, Father, that you would just speak to us, uh, that we would have the same servant uh, attitude that Christ had. And I thank you, Lord, for working in this congregation and using those in the lives of other people. Continue to do that, Father. And uh, we lift up Stuart and Rebecca to you and, and their new uh, vows that they have taken as husband and wife and Lord we would pray for the, uh, uh, that Christ would become the center of their marriage and and uh, so we just lift them to you as and for Rachel and, and Russ as they continue to go through uh, pains and, and uh, heartache with the loss of their two year old Sarah Jane we lift them to you for Craig's uh, healing for his leg, Lord, we, we ask complete healing for him. Just give him relief from, from his suffering. And, uh, Lord, we lift up Sue McCormick to you. And, uh, Lord, that, uh, that everything is well. But, Lord, we, we know that she goes through a lot, and we just pray for her. And, Lord, I thank you again for, for Betty being here and, and how you have uh, healed her and, and raised her up. And we lift her to you this morning as well and for all those who are expecting for Katie and Scarlett and uh, Lord we just uh, uh, we just thank you uh, that you are a gracious God who gives children and so we look to you Lord uh, uh, to help us to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and Father we uh, pray for continual healing for Amelia uh, and uh, blessings upon uh, them, O oh God. And that, uh, uh, Lord, we, we lift up to you uh, Nick's cousin Joe and has his heart condition, and so healing for him as well. And also for Chase Sims and uh, Andrew's friend, that he would be able to minister to him and use Andrew in his life as he... Uh, contacts this uh, man and, and just uh, that he would come and be a part. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for your great grace in our lives. 
because, Lord, we know it's all by grace, through faith. And so help us to trust more. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, as we'll see this morning. In his precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> all right, turn to the gospel according to Mark. Uh, I entitled this, John the Baptizer Prepares the Way and Points to the Way. And I, I like the, uh, the last part of that because he does point others to Christ. Because John the Baptist was not the way. Of course, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life is our wonderful Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus. And uh, we're going to start this morning with just some intro introductory thoughts and I think there will be some things here we can apply to our lives, but uh, uh, I want to see, I want us to see the supernatural work of God, the supernatural work of God uh, in this in this uh, in this book. We find it's got 16 chapters, just like Romans had. Uh, I just kind of threw that in. There's no extra charge for that, but. Uh, uh, there are also 19 miracles that are presented here. And so, what are the miracles? The supernatural work of Christ. And uh, uh, it's the shortest of all the Gospels. Just, these are just some simple things that you can learn about it. But our goal in studying this book is to not just to learn more about Christ, but to come, but come to know Him more and love Him better. Okay, and remember, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And so I want to just, all of us, myself included, to concentrate on the love that he has for his children, that we might love him more. Uh, and it's to get our eyes off of our problems and to focus more on Christ, to get closer to Christ. And uh, we've seen this verse, I show it quite a bit, because I think it's so important. Fixing our eyes on whom? Jesus. On Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. I want us to do that. Fix your eyes on Him. Uh, to gaze at Him. To grow in faith and assurance and love. Uh, because to, I believe to know Christ better is to love Him better. And you know, as well as I do, there's some people you get to know and you don't care to really know them anymore, you know. Uh, in other words, uh, okay, you know, that's close enough or they're not real close friends, but they're, but not with Jesus. The more you get to know Jesus, the better you love him, the more you love him. You grow and your, your love grows for what he's done for you. And we'll see what he has done for so many people. And he'll do that for us as well. And uh, who wrote this book? Very easy. John Mark. Uh, who was he? First of all, he was a cousin of Barnabas. We find that in Colossians 4.10. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also uh, Barnabas's cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you. Welcome him, he says. And uh, we, uh, 
find also, and I didn't put the verse up here, but in 1 Peter 5, uh, 13, it says that he was a convert of Peter's ministry because Peter calls him my son in the faith. And, uh, and so someone has said, really, the gospel of John Mark is really from Peter's viewpoint because he was uh, a son in the faith to Peter. And there could be truth in that, but uh, uh, not totally, uh, of course. But uh, uh, one thing we learn, uh, or another thing we learn about John Mark is that he was a Christian who blew it. He was a believer who blew it, who sinned in his life. We find on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, he quit and went back to Jerusalem. You can find that in Acts 15 at the end of the chapter if you want to read about that. But, uh, but we found out later, find out later that Paul uh, uh, would not take him on the second missionary journey and considered him not dependable. So Paul and Silas hooked up and then... Barnabas, whose name means encourager, didn't quit on Mark. So they went. I think to Cyprus. I can't uh, believe that's right. But, uh, and uh, so Barnabas took Mark. But we find out later at the end of Paul's life, he wanted Mark to come and be with him uh, at the close of his life. He says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is what now? Useful to me for service. Isn't that neat? You know, God can use quitters. Amen. God can change quitters. Amen. What was it? That's right. That's what God does. Exactly. God, uh, he didn't quit on me. And I gave him every excuse, every reason to quit on me. <laughs> and he, so he changes. And he's still working on me, believe it or not. And uh, so, uh, even though he blew it, God, and we blow it, God still uses us. And uh, someone said he makes failures to get up and go again. The characteristics of this book, it was written to the Gentiles. Uh, uh, very little Old Testament quotes are in the book. And, and when we find them, Jesus quotes them. But uh, we find that this book is really a vivid language. It's an eyewitness language, if you will. It's uh, like you're really there, like a camera has, has zoomed in on it, and you can picture what's going on. Have you ever had people describe things, and you, and, and you just, it, it creates a picture in your mind. And so this is what this gospel is, is like. Somebody said it's an action gospel. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, stress so much uh, Jesus' teaching, but his actions. You know, you can be full of all kinds of teaching and know all kinds of truth and not have any action. But Jesus put it into action. And uh, uh, Mark points this out, and he uses the word immediately uh, 41 times in the book of Mark. Notice verse 10, uh, immediately coming up. Uh, verse 12, immediately the Spirit. Uh, uh, and then verse 18, immediately they left. Verse 20, immediately he called them. Verse 21, do you get the idea? He uses this term over, it's a, it's a word of action. And uh, this happens, this happens, this happens. It's just one thing right after another. So it's an exciting book in that sense. Uh, 
and uh, also we find the emphasis of this gospel is the king, the king who became a servant. The king who became a servant. We find Matthew writes uh, to the Jews and presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. Luke presents Jesus as the son of man, his his, uh, virgin birth, his... his, uh, uh, when he was young and so forth. John presents his humanity. John presents Jesus uh, as God, John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And so we need to understand that as we look at the different Gospels. Uh, but Mark presents Jesus as a servant. What are we? Servants. Servants. And that's what I want us to see is that we also. Are we better than Jesus, who was a servant? Absolutely not. We are servants of the Most High God. What a privilege that is, people. What a privilege it is to be a servant of the Most High God. And the key verse in Mark is in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to do what? And to give his life a ransom for many. That's how he served. And we're to give our lives as well in service to him. That's a privilege. And uh, uh, it's extremely important. Uh, now, the introductory words to the gospel we find in verses 1 through 8. So let's read together these verses, beginning with verse 1 of, of Mark. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. Yum, yum. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. A lot here. And... uh, it won't take over three hours to get through this. So, <laughs> uh, But uh, the, uh, he says here that uh, John the baptizer prepares the way. And he announces what's going to happen. And then the action unfolds. So that's what we see. The action begins to unfold. It, it sort of rolls, if you will. The beginning of the gospel, it begins but continues, thank the Lord. And the gospel, it's good news, it's joyful news. Why? Because it comes to a lost world, it comes to lost sinners like us. And it tells us what God has done for us, that Christ died, that we might be forgiven, and that he has paid it all. Another verse, and I'll go back to Paul just to... uh, Keep things in perspective. He saved us, not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said there's one who's coming that's going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is an inward thing. And, uh, and it centers on a person. It centers on a person, Jesus Christ, uh, there in, in verse 1. But also in verse 8, didn't we not see that as, as well? There's one, uh, uh, he will baptize you with the Holy it's, it, it centers on It centers on a person of Christ, of Jesus Christ. And uh, who came and died in our place. Uh, the Son of God, if you will, in verse 1. Jesus, of course, is the human name, meaning Jehovah saves. Uh, we see his uh, humanity uh, displayed here. Christ means the anointed one. That Christ, just follow with me in, in verse 1 here and on down. Christ means the anointed one. He's the prophet, priest, and king who would come and was the Jewish Messiah. Notice he is the Son of God, Mark says in verse 1. His nature was the very nature of God himself. He was God incarnate. God manifest in the flesh. And, uh, and we see now uh, the preparation by John the Baptist in verses 2 through 8. And, and all of these begin with the letter M. If you're taking notes, first of all, John the Baptist was a manifestation, a manifestation of fulfilled prophecy. And we find Isaiah and Malachi uh, quoted here. This was 700 years, 700 years uh, before a prophecy uh, 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 had been given 700 years before that a forerunner would come ahead of the Messiah, John the Baptist. And why does, why does Mark say here uh, Isaiah? Because what, remember uh, uh, Isaiah in Isaiah 52 and 53 stresses that he would be a servant. And this is what Mark is concerned about, is Jesus as uh, a servant. He, he stresses that. And he said, I will, I, the Father, will send my messenger, John the Baptist, ahead of you, the Son. Just pick that up now. We're talking about the Trinity. I will send my messenger, John the Baptist, ahead of you, the Son. Uh, God the Father, I believe, is uh, speaking to God the Son. And then he says, who will prepare your way? Who will prepare your way? Remember in those days that when a king was coming, uh, there would be an announcement that he's coming. The king is coming. And you're to prepare uh, the way for his coming. And that's what John is doing. He's announcing the king is coming. And he was, he was uh, uh, just a voice, it says, a voice uh, crying in the wilderness, crying out with a loud voice shouted the message. It was an emotional expression. You know, it wasn't, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, or the Messiah is coming, you know. No, it was a loud voice. It was that important. He was crying out emotionally to these people. Uh, and uh, what was he to announce? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him, he says. And... Uh, 
Uh, this is what his job was. Um, John, I believe, was telling people to deal with the obstacles in the way. When, when the king was coming and, the, and he went forward on the roads, they went ahead and made sure that all the potholes, all the obstacles in the road uh, were safe for the king who was traveling. And so what is John the Baptist saying here? Uh, there are obstacles in the way. Where are those obstacles? In here. Sin. Uh, and all the, uh, the materialism. Uh, uh, greed. And uh, he says, deal with these. He's telling these people to deal with these things that they might uh, make a way for Christ who was coming in their life. Uh, get their lives in order. Uh, a change of heart was needed. A change of heart was needed. And that's what's needed today. There needs to be a change of heart in the lives of people. And that's what Jesus does for you. When he comes... There's a change of heart. Why? Because his Holy Spirit uh, uh, changes us. Also, we see, secondly, John's manner of life. John, the, the name John, means to whom the Lord has been gracious. Uh, that's what John, I don't know if you ever knew what John meant, but that it means to whom the Lord has been gracious. Now, you might say, wait a minute. Uh, John was, uh, he was beheaded. So, <laughs> gracious, to whom the Lord has been gracious, yeah, to do what? To announce the coming of Christ. Amen. To proclaim the truth. And God is gracious to let him do that. Uh, and so, we have that same duty. We see the, the place of his ministry was in the wilderness. That's in verse 4. The wilderness was a rugged wasteland along the western shore of the Dead Sea, barren, useless, treeless, dry area. And uh, what was this a sign of? I think it was a sign of the spiritual condition of the day. He was preaching in wilderness. And we see that in this country today. You're preaching in a wilderness. We're preaching in a wilderness. I mean, it used to be a country where Christianity was in the hearts of the people and people were living for God, but it's a wilderness today. It's a voice crying in the wilderness. And uh, so we need to be uh, uh, telling people, telling people about Christ because it really is a wasteland. Also, we find in verse 6, his dress. He was, uh, uh, wore the dress of a, of a prophet. He wore Elijah's dress, uh, not the latest suit and tie, if you will. Uh, he was a simple man, camel's hair and a leather belt. I believe he was a living sermon against luxury and materialism. Now, there's nothing wrong with wearing a suit, nice clothing, jewelry. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But what was he demonstrating by his life? It's not about, that's right, it's not about stuff as we looked at in, in Sunday school. Uh, he was a living sermon against luxury, materialism, selfishness, self-indulgence. He lived a simple life. What did he eat? Verse 6, locust and wild honey. And you might say, well, gee, I didn't know the Jews could eat locust and wild honey. Leviticus 11, 22 and 23 uh, of these, he says, 
you may eat the locust in its kind and the uh, devastating locust in its kinds and the cricket in its kinds and the grasshopper in its kinds, but all other winged instruments uh, are, to, are to be considered detestable. So he was not breaking the law here by eating locusts and wild honey. Uh, they, it was okay to do such a thing. And so, wow, I know everybody's going to go home today and collect up some locusts. <laughs> and you know how they fixed them in those days? They would fry them. They would dry them and then ground, uh, grind them up and put them in their flour and bake them. Doesn't that sound yum, yum? Doesn't that make everybody just talk? <laughs> Whoa, I just can't wait to get to my locust. <laughs> but uh, somebody said anybody that eats shrimp and, uh, and uh, other things that uh, we eat, you know, should not complain about eating locust. And that's <laughs> good. All right, uh, I won't be here. Uh, <laughs> all right, what were his methods, his methods? He came preaching, proclaiming as a herald, the king is coming. He, he came baptizing. He was known as John the baptizer. How effective was his ministry? We see in verse 5. It says here that uh, and all the country of Judea was going out to him. I would say success, would you not? Now when it says all the country, it doesn't mean every single uh, individual in Jerusalem came out to him. But what I believe it's saying here is, is the all here is all types of people were coming. Educated, uneducated, rich, poor, prostitutes, uh, uh, Pharisees, everybody, all types, all types were coming. Uh, to hear his message. And so all does not always mean everybody in a city. Uh, uh, so you had to be, uh, let the scriptures uh, uh, interpret themselves in those areas. But uh, uh, what did he preach? What did he preach? Verse 4, repentance. A baptism accompanied by repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is what you have to have to be saved. You must have repentance in your life, a change of heart. It means you realize that you're a sinner and need to be saved. That your life needs to turn around. It happens on the inside first. It's where God gives you a desire to turn away from your sins and come to Christ. How much are we repenting? Not enough. Not enough. Exactly right. It's not just walking down an aisle and, and uh, saying I've trusted Christ, but it's a change of heart. What did Jesus say in Luke 13, 3? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. How much repentance is in our lives? How much... Uh, does sin grieve us? How much do we turn away from sin? Something to think about. And he preached a baptism of repentance uh, for the remission of sins. You turn around because your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness means to let it go and send it away. We see in the Old Testament, uh, on the Day of Atonement, they had two goats. One of these goats... Uh, was uh, sacrificed, I believe, picturing Christ on the cross. 
dying for our sins. And the other goat, the sins of the people were placed on it and it was sent away into the wilderness. And uh, showing our sins have been sent away as far as the east is from the west. Do you realize that this morning, brethren? Just as the sins were placed in that scapegoat and he took off with them in Christ. Psalm 103, 10 and 11. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad of that? Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Boy, I'm thankful for that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That is good news. That's the gospel. That all of your sins, if you're in Christ, have been forgiven and sent away. Sent away. And we find also, thirdly, uh, they confessed their sins in verse 5. A confess means to agree with something or someone. I agree with you, God. I agree with you about myself. I confess I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I agree with you, Father. Forgive me. You see, it's a heart thing that God hears us crying out. It's an agreement with God. Uh, recognizing I'm a sinner, having a desire to change our direction, be willing to say to God, I agree with you, I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven by myself. Please forgive my sins and send them away. Hallelujah. And that's what he's done. I think someone who doesn't see themselves as a sinner has ever become a believer. Why? They miss first base. You know, you can, you can hit the ball, and it can be a hit, and not, not, you know, not an out in the sense that it's caught, and it can be right up against the fence, right down third baseline, and you start tearing around those bases, and you get to home, you're out. Why? You miss first base. You miss the fact that you're a sinner who needs to be saved. And that's what people do. They don't come to Christ as a sinner in need of a Savior. And that's why you need a Savior, because you're a sinner. Most people think they're okay, that I'm going to make it because I'm better than the guy next door. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. And then the final part, the most important part, the one I get excited about, is uh, the coming mighty one. The coming mighty one. Verse 7. He was preaching about Jesus Christ. What John realized is that Christ was more powerful. As we sang the song this morning, he is worthy. And what are they singing in heaven? Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Amen. We need to be singing that every day. Are we singing that? Do we, with our doxologies, get up in the morning and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow? We need to be doing that. 
because it's the truth. And so John saw how worthy Jesus was, that he was not the worthy one, uh, but he stooped down as a servant. He was humble. He was humble. We also find in John uh, chapter 3, it says, and they came to John and said that was his disciples, came to him and said, uh, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have uh, testified, this of course Christ, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. They're coming to Christ. Capitalized. Coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, Christ. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the what? The bridegroom's voice. Do you love Jesus' voice? When he, when he calls, when he talks to you. So this joy of mine has been made full. What? He must increase. I must decrease. Isn't that amazing? This is what John saw. Is that the mighty one, the, the Messiah, God incarnate, was before him. He says, I'm not worthy to even take your sandals off. And he was right. We see the life-changing ability of Christ uh, uh, in verse 8. He says, what does he say? John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with what? That's what you have to have. You have to have uh, the Holy Spirit. You have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Cannot be any clearer statement than that in Romans. We're going back to Romans. That's uh, the truth. Uh, so let me ask you as in closing, what, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to you? For one thing it means is that he can give you a new heart. Jesus answered and said to him, uh, Nicodemus that is, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you that this morning. Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? Does Christ dwell in you by faith? Are you trusting him alone for your salvation? If you're clinging to anything else, whether it's your good works or whatever it is, you're lost. You better come to Christ and confess, Oh God, I'm a sinner and deserve your wrath. Have mercy on me. I trust Christ and Him alone and His, and His finished work on the cross. That must be in our lives. It's that important. And also, I think what we see here is that there is hope for the greatest sinner like me. There's hope for the greatest sinner like me. Because why? We have been given to us the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to change. And we need to take heart, brethren, that God changes hearts. 
Do you have a son, a daughter, a friend, a cousin who does not know Christ? We can pray, God, change their heart. By the power of your Holy Spirit, come into them. Renew their mind that they might see your glorious gospel. You see, that's, that's a great privilege that we have because God changes hearts. And we're going to see that as we go through this book, The Actions of Jesus. And, uh, you know, sometimes you want to just take somebody and just grab them and, and shake them. You know, wake up! Don't you see your sin? Don't you? Come on, wake up! I mean, that's what you want to do, but you know that that's not going to do it. What is it going to take? The Holy Spirit working in them. And we need to be praying for them. We need to be pointing as John the Baptist. What did he do? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, we come as, as sinners saved by the grace of God. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, that we would point, as John the Baptist did, men and women and all who were there to the Lamb of God. Lord, give us grace to do that. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who does not know you, who has never been born again, who does not have the Spirit of Christ in them, who does not love you, Lord, I pray that you would work mightily in their life this morning, that they would trust you, that they're trusting in anything else. And so, Lord, come now. Uh, work your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.